Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. And uh, we are glad you're here. We are calling this Old School Sunday. Um, and how many of you guys um, sort of love the idea of old school? I mean, just, you know, there's uh, when you think of old school, it's n- sort of nostalgic, right? I mean, old school is something very broad. Some of you guys think old school. You think music. You think of maybe family traditions. You may think of you know, what you used to look like, what you used to feel like. But truthfully, when you think of old school, old school is so completely relative, right? It's relative on how old you are. It's relative on maybe even how you were raised, maybe, um, maybe even mindsets of certain traditions that you hold to, certain values that you hold to. Uh, but old school is, is fun for a lot of us. Uh, but it really is relative. I was thinking this morning, <clears throat> I've seen a couple extremes today. I've talked to folks that have said, hey, I'm excited about old school today because it means, you know, maybe we're unplugged, there's no sound, uh, maybe uh, like your Adam, Adam uh, who led on keyboard, his old school was like wearing a tie, but he's got some new version, little button up, you know, frou-frou, little, little uh, I'm sorry, Adam, if you're in here, <laughs> don't mean it like that, but I'm saying, you know, old school for him's different, all the way to like, like my daughter Ashley's in here and she was born in 2003. She didn't even make the 90s. So, you know, old school is completely relative to, you know, a lot of, a lot of things. Um, I was just thinking about our church and the perception of, of, of our church to our community. And uh, it's funny, the varying uh, thoughts we have about our, our church. One of our band members today was talking as we huddled up this morning praying for today's service and thinking through, you know, uh, how today would be. Uh, one of our guys said, hey, you know, I've, I've talked to people before that thinks, wow, our church is so, you know, edgy and out there and so new and so young and so, you know, technical or technological. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I would say of our church that we're probably as old school as they come when it comes to like our beliefs in God's word and our, our, our love for you know, stuff that we really hold to in, in the Bible that are just straight up, this is as old school as it gets, you know, in our, in our, in our beliefs and our structure and how we're formed as a church. And uh, I, I want to just say that this morning that um, I'm really proud of what God's done in our church. And, and it's, it's ironic that we're probably 50% of our actual church here this morning and uh, probably old school thinking. Uh, many people are still thinking that we have two services, <laughs> Old school is in last week, uh, the, the feel of we had two, today we have one, and so even though time changes happen, there are probably many, many people that will walk up and, and come here right as we're leaving today, and so you just smile and say, hey, you missed it, it was one service, meet us on the property, uh, but we'll, we're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh, I want to talk uh, and bring you today an old school message, one message, one thought today, and it's going to be on the idea of faith. Uh, old school faith. And I just want to talk to you about what, I've, what I see in Scripture uh, about how important old school, genuine, uh, bold, strong faith is and what it means to us, uh, how, we, how we leverage it, what it means to God, and how, how it could be something in your life that could really transform your heart. Um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, in, in fact, Probably the uh, favorite story in my Bible, in, our, in, in all of our Bibles, 
is, is uh, the story found in Daniel. You guys remember a guy named Daniel in the Bible? You guys, Daniel, remember Daniel? He's got his own book named after him. Daniel was one of those younger men who, were, who was... Um, who was nabbed and taken over by a king of Babylon named King Nebuchadnezzar. And this king came in and just took over the territory of, of Judah, which is half of Israel, uh, took over Jerusalem. And, um, you know, Daniel was one of those early risers um, who the king Nebuchadnezzar recognized, this guy's, this guy's got something. Uh, the king took... Uh, many of the younger royal children from, from Israel and said, hey, I want to take some of their really awesome stuff and I want to take some of their best people. Give me some of those fine, hardworking, good-looking young men of royal families and I'm going to snatch all those guys and I'm going to try to establish further long-term dominance. This, this guy was like a really wise king. Uh, he wanted to build up his own kingdom uh, he wanted to have long-term legacy and kingship. And so he thought, if I take all these young, very sharp uh, leaders from prominent families, the smartest, the brightest, the best, then perhaps I can extend my reign by sort of breeding and building into these people like a whole different mindset. I'll train them up in our ways. I'll integrate our culture into their culture and, you know, obviously he's wise, he's smart, he's not just, you know, lopping off everything that they were, but slowly but surely trying to just, you know, steal and take away who they were and make them become like him, to where almost they'd give up their whole history and their whole background and give up everything they, they, they knew and they loved and that they would unearth all those things and fall in love with his customs, his traditions. And even in this story... His, his beliefs, his, his God. And so Daniel was one of these early front runners of this experience. Uh, there were some other guys too, um, some guys that had different names, but you'll know them in this story as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to go towards this story today because this is a story of amazing faith, unbelievable faith, faith that, like, uh, can, faith that can outlast and weather any struggle, any, any difficulty, any fire uh, is, is we're going to see this morning. So as we get started, let me just go ahead and pray and ask God to speak to us, to be with us. And then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my very best to preach quickly today because I've already been asked, like, how long is the message? Because I'm hungry. So uh, I'm going to preach as quick as I can. But I really, believe that, I, I really believe that God has something for you and I this morning through this passage, through this text. And I I invite you to, to, to dive in it with me, but let's pray. God, we ask that this morning that you would, you would radically <clears throat> invade this place. You'd, er- you'd radically invade our hearts. God, in this moment, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to, eyes to, to, to notice, and just a heart, God, uh, ready and willing to be receptive to what you say to us. God, in, a, in an audience this large, in a, in a crowd of this size, God, there is all sorts of varying degrees of what we believe in you, how we see you, um, varying degrees of God, how we might be jaded by uh, our past and um, how we could have been bruised up or hurt or had circumstances in our life that could cause us to, 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 to move away from you, to, to miss you. 
And God, we know ultimately we've got an enemy that, 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 that seeks to just rob, rob us of an experience of really knowing you. That's his entire goal. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would bind our enemy. I pray, God, for the, for the for person who's a first-time guest here this morning trying to figure out if, if there is a God, if he is real, if he is who he, said he says, says he is, to the person, God, who's been growing in their faith and been committed to the person, God, here this morning that's been um, a Christian for a while, but, man, they are in the thick of a mess right now. God, for all of us, wherever we're at this morning, God, would you speak to us? Would you guide us and let us hear from you and experience you and make steps towards you in our faith today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you guys are old school and uh, you have not quite adapted like the whole smartphone Bible on your smartphone. Anybody brave enough to admit that? You like still feeling like, like I want to, if I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to touch the pages I want to underline. I'm still like that. I love, I love having my Bible, but I, can, I, can I just be honest with you? When I come on Sunday mornings, I can't see the pages anymore. So I print notes. I have notes, right? And in the red there is my Bible, right? It's printed in ink. But during the week, when I'm studying, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy actually touching my, the, my Bible. Uh, but, I, and I, but I am a smartphone guy. I love technology. And so I love to start my day out off with my Uversion Bible app that just pumps out anytime I want it, like whatever I want to find and the verse of the day. And I'm telling you what, how many of you guys actually, uh, you get a verse of the day with your Bible app? Is it not like awesome? Like there are days, like whatever I woke up with, like that I slept with all night, not meaning my wife, like, <laughs> like fear or anxiety of whatever I left the day before and I woke up that morning and I'm like, man, that verse right there, God, you just like, woo, that was awesome. Thank you for that because that was exactly however they designed what verse they're pulling today from you version, that one was for me and God, you somehow orchestrated that. So wherever you're at this morning, grab your Bible, all right? I want you to see this. Grab your smartphone, grab your Bible. If you have a, if you have a smartphone and you've never downloaded this app, download, go to you know, just type in Bible app. You're going to find version and uh, get it quick and, and walk with us through this Bible, uh, this experience, this one of this, this study. Uh, we're looking at Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 3. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar is a guy that uh, is really, really proud of his accomplishments. He really is a king who will stop at nothing to... To continue to conquest, to conquer, to take over, to, uh, to, to lean everybody in the world towards, hey, notice what we're doing because we're the baddest, we're the best, and everybody needs, everybody needs to be on board with what we're doing. And obviously with, with, uh, with, with Jerusalem, with Judah, and, and God's people, you know, it, it's his quest to dominate and to steal their heritage, to steal really the ultimate heritage of anybody's faith that would be trusting in the, the, the real one and only true God. And so in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to start there. We're going to walk through this whole story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, these three guys that were also a part of Daniel being uh, stripped and taken from their country, moved into Babylon, and um, essentially tried to take their thinking, their culture, everything about them and have them sh- have it stripped away and then become ultimately someone that would better Babylon. 
So in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a, an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. This guy has conquered and conquered and conquered, and pretty much everywhere he has gone, he has crafted uh, an image. Well, in this particular case, he crafts an image 90 feet tall of himself. (laughs) Now, this was the king who just previously, in the chapter before, in just, you know, days, months previous, had had an experience where he had this, this dream and he can't find anybody who would interpret this dream. He had this like lay in bed dream. It's like a nightmare because it was something that was going to be, you know, bad for him, not good for him. And he's trying to figure out, man, this is whatever this is. I can't quite understand it, but this is bad. This is going to maybe be devastating, but who can help me figure out this thing? So he tries to get all his top people and supervisors and, you know, spooky weird guys that can interpret g- dreams perhaps and nobody can interpret this one and finally he gets mad he's stomping his foot he's getting upset and he says if there isn't anybody who can interpret this, this dream whoever come well basically whoever comes if you can't do it i'm gonna kill you you're gonna i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna kill you and so they're like scared to death and finally they all man up and say king we can't interpret this we can't interpret this but somehow uh, it gets back to Daniel, and Daniel, being smart enough, wise enough, hears about it and says, hey, I think I can interpret it. So he, like, thinks maybe this is a way that we can get my boys and I out of, you know, get out of jail free cards. So they pray, and they say, God, would you help us figure out this king's dream so maybe we can get a leg up and we can get out of jail free card? So Daniel comes in, apart from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, guys, he comes in and he interprets the dream to the king, basically saying, listen, your kingdom's going to die. Your kingdom's not going to continue on. Now, I know this is bad news, but the king was like, okay, great. Somebody could help me interpret it. And he understood that it was correct. I mean, this guy told him everything that he thought. So he's like, wow, something's going on with this guy. So all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar has a respect for Daniel and a respect for Daniel's God. But that was short-lived, right? It was short-lived. Time goes on, King Nebuchadnezzar's pretty proud of his accomplishments, his conquests, and all of a sudden, he's like, all right, we just took over a little bit more, we're going to, we, we make this 90-foot image, and he begins to tell everybody that he wants them to worship the image of himself along the way, all right? So they've got all these Jewish people, all these Babylonian people, everybody's got gods, different gods, they worship different stuff, right? All these idols, it's a word of the day. Uh, even the king has different idols, not just himself, but he's got his own gods he worships. So in verse 2, it says, He summons all these people, the satraps, the perfects, or the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, judges, magistrates, and all the other you know, pr- uh, providential uh, officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So he invites all these people to show up. Everybody, woo look what I've done. It's a big golden image of me. Aren't you excited about that? So all these people show up, and, and he, he does this dedication, and it's all in the image of himself, and they all stood before it. In verse 4, it says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed. Now, here's what they didn't know. That, that the nations and the peoples and all the people of every language, this is what you were commanded to do. 
So here's the little guy that's the, the uh, like, all right, now we got everybody here. This is what the king wants you to do. And basically, um, he says that he wants them to, as soon as the music plays, uh, you'll hear the sound of a horn, a flute, a, z- a zyre. These are some old school um, things that we didn't have on our stage this morning. But this was the music of their day. It was slightly before like 90s in the 80s. It was other awesome stuff, right back, a harp, a pipe, and all kinds of music. And, and when the music plays, when, when all this stuff is happening, when, you, when your senses are like soothed by music, by modern day what we all love and like enjoy hearing, when this happens, I want you to fall down and I want you to worship me. I mean, I want you to just like fall out on your face and like, oh, great King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the one and only awesome, incredible God, all right? So, and then comes, if you don't, here's what happens. So in verse 6 it says, whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Now this is like the catch-all right here. If you don't do it, Man, you are, you're going to get burnt, right? If you don't worship me, you're, you're going to be thrown into the hot, hot, fiery furnace, and I'm going to burn you. Now, um, let me just say that in, in, in thought, in just thinking in our terms today, uh, maybe some of you look around and you look at our world and think, things are pretty crazy around here too at times, right? And, and our, globally, I mean, we've got stuff going on that you could feel like I've lost faith in, you know, not just globally, but I've lost faith in right here at home with our own government, right? Our own political system. You know, whether you're left wing, right wing, the whole bird, whatever, doesn't matter. I mean, I am, I'm losing faith in the incomplete system. Maybe, I, you know, some of you this morning are feeling like I'm losing faith in the economic system, the financial systems, the whatever systems. It just looks like things are just completely lost and out there, and I just want to say that as we dive into what this faith looks like, what kind of faith that these guys will have that you'll see in just a moment, I want to just say that that maybe this morning real old school faith doesn't depend on any particular culture. Maybe old school faith doesn't depend on whether the government system is good or whether the government system is bad. Maybe old school faith doesn't depend on the financial system, whether it's going well or it's going not. Old school faith doesn't depend on those things. So in verse 7, here's, here's, here's sort of how things begin to shake out. As they were told, you know, bow when the music plays or you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace. In verse 7 it says, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the zither, the, I can't even say all these things, the harp and other kinds of music, all of the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image. So people are doing it. I mean, this guy's got, he's got clout. He's got power. He's got reign. He's got authority. These people are like, all right, we better do it. This guy's he's serious. He's, he's the big boss, right? We're going to do what he says. So people, I mean, of all, I mean, this guy must have been taking people from all over the place, right? He, he must have had, I mean a melting pot right there in Babylon of all kinds of races and nations, and people are doing it. They're giving in. They're giving up what they've had. And they're saying, all right, we're going we're gonna to let this indoctrination 
takes shape in us. And all of a sudden, people are, are bowing down, they're falling down, and they're worshiping the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everybody did it, except for three guys. And here's where the plot of our story gets really awesome. Three guys basically say, no, not going to do it. Not going to do it. So in verse 8, it says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. That means they narked. They tattled. They told. They told on the three Jewish boys who, out of everybody, wasn't going to do what the king said. And so they came and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may, you know, and I love how they, they start this out, this conversation, may the king live forever. Like, we're here to tell you something, but first let us start with taking care of ourselves. You're awesome, and may your reign last forever, king. They probably know about the dream that Daniel interpreted, and they're probably trying to weasel their way in and say, king, you know, you're going to, your, king's, your kingdom's not going to die. You're going to live forever, and this is going to last forever. We want to be with you when it happens. So here's what's happening, king. Verse 10, your majesty, you, you yourself have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, all these instruments, must fall down and worship the golden image that you created. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, mainly these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jewish boys taken and put into captivity, who pay no attention to you. I mean, they're building this up. They're like reminding the king of what, he, what he'd done. And I don't know how long this had been going on, but people were showing up, they'd play the music, they'd get suckered into this thing, and they'd fall out, bow down, give up everything, and pay homage to this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, except for these three guys who would pay no attention to you, king, your majesty. So they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, let me just frame this up again for us a little bit. The story, the story in the Old Testament was always somehow showcasing whose God was the real God, right? You track and follow the story, you know, of God's people and really the story of God showing the, the mankind, who he is through the generations, through all the ages, it's always a story of whose God was the real God, right? Always the story of whose God was the most powerful God, and if your country was winning, your God was most powerful. And there was just times where, you know, God's people weren't really paying attention to the God. They let, God would let King Nebuchadnezzar come in and, and, and reign, only to set up the, the, the whole premise and idea of showcasing himself through a bad time. So here they're having a bad time. People are being forced to worship another God, and God's just setting up this whole thing so he can be glorified. He can be magnified. And so whole nations can see in the midst of some, some crazy ruler that he's not God, nor any of us other gods, but I'm the true living God. And this is, this is what's happening here. So... These guys aren't bowing to you, king. So here's his response, verse 13. Furious with rage, 
Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you, you do not serve my gods or worship the image I have set up for you? Now, I love how he says my gods and the image, but really it's all about himself in that moment when it's bowing to the image, right? I mean, there's so many different gods in this melting pot of people. And they're slowly trying to woo people into, you know, Babylonian culture and worshiping their God. And so King says to them, um, now, now when you hear the music, is this true that, that when you've, you've heard the music, um, all these different instruments, if you were ready, basically he's saying at this point, if you'll, I'll give you one more chance. If you at this moment, I'll give you another opportunity, we'll go back out there and, and redo the whole thing. If you'll worship and fall down in the image that I have set up, I'll, I'll let you get away with this. But if you do not do it, now let me just be very clear again to these guys. If you do not do this, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the burning furnace. Now he's already mad that they haven't done it. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That's what he says to them. You don't do it? I mean, it's going to happen, fellas. And then what? I mean, he's probably trying to, you know, woo them at this point. I mean, come on. You're worshiping who? Where's your God anyways? You're already in captivity. I mean, you're already, you've, already, you've already been a part of what we're doing. Come on, just give in a little bit. I don't even think at this point he's really saying you have to give up your God. I don't think he's saying you have to completely just say no to your history and your God. But come on, guys. When, it, when the music plays, just be smart and bow down to me. I think he, he, he's hoping at this point, if he can just get them to take some steps towards what he's doing, then he, he'll be satisfied. So if you don't, you're going to be thrown into the blazing furnace. Then what will be able to rescue you from my hand? No one. Because I don't believe your God's real. I've kind of forgotten about your God. And here's what's crazy. Um, for years and years and years, these men have been following one true living God. Um, and they have been trying to not allow Babylonian culture to slip in their hearts. Um, and now in the midst of when all attention's on them, somehow these guys have faith strong enough to endure this situation. I mean, you think of this. These guys could have just given in to the king, right? They're, they're far away from home. They've had years now of being away from their moms, their dads, their heritage, their culture. They could have, they could have taken the easier way out here. They could have given in, and things could have been a whole lot easier on them. Um, and I just want to say that in, in terms of where we are today, um, what, what does this look like for us? If I asked how many of you guys have an idol in your home, no one would probably raise your hand, right? I don't think anybody in this room has some sort of little statue or some little symbol or you know, something perhaps that you're like paying homage to and bowing down to. But in terms of our reality, how many of us, 
essentially have something else that we're paying tribute to or giving more attention to or loving more than God himself. How many of us could be bowing down to other things in our world and not really giving in and trusting and bowing down to the one true living God? It's essentially what, I, what I'm recognizing in this passage for us today. Because I believe the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy to our faith, to our growth, is potentially whatever we could be bowing down to. Whatever else in your life that, that has your admiration, whatever else in your life that has your attention more than God himself is your, your God. Just think about that for a moment. It could be yourselves. <laughs> Sometimes I love me more than I love God. I'm just saying that. Sometimes I have my attention more on me than anything else. Sometimes it's serve me, serve me, serve me. Sometimes for, for a lot of us, it's, it's some sort of pleasure, right? Some of us, sometimes, it's, I'm, I'm going old school, right? right? Sometimes it, ha- it has something to do with like, um, the idea of filling me up, making me happy at all costs, it's trying to, you know, make this thing, this body, whatever it is, just I'm, I'm going to live for this more than I'm going to live for God, more than I'm going to pay attention to God. And most of us recognize there are many days in life that we go down that road that we we recognize that this is a dead-end road, that this is not something that's satisfying long-term. And so these guys are in this situation where they are saying, you know what, we're not going to give in. We're not going to allow there to be anything else in our life, not even one step towards the king. We're not going to allow our, we're not going to turn our backs on our God. We're going we're gonna to focus and say, you know what, God, we're going to trust in you no matter what. We're not going to give in to giving our attention, our love, our admiration to anything else more than our God. And so in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to, the, to, the, to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Sounding pretty strong here. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But he, and, and here's, like the, here's like the quintessential verse that I think, I mean, we can hang our hats on. This is, this is, this is what I love about this passage. This is like gets me so fired up about these guys' faith. This is old school faith right here. We know he can deliver us from whatever you do. Verse 18, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Boom, with the sauce. But here these guys are. I mean, whole nations are giving up 
Whole nations have been suckered into something else that's not real, that's counterfeit, that's just not legit. And these guys are saying, we don't believe in that. You're never going to convince us that that is real. We're going to, at all costs, it doesn't matter whatever happens, we're only going to bow to our God. And this scenario essentially made these guys even stronger for and make a choice for what they believed. See, in our world today, I don't think we have that you got to serve God or, or else. And in fact, again, I don't think the king was saying, serve me and nothing else, bow to me and nothing else. I think he was saying, I'm going to slowly eke you into this idea. I'm going to slow you, slowly get you to sort of, you know, start bowing to me. But yeah, you can, there's other gods. He had other gods. See, in our culture today, it's, it's a little trickier than that sometimes, right? Sometimes it's a little harder to recognize I'm turning my back on God when I'm pursuing this thing. It's a little harder. It's a little harder to recognize. And so these guys had been, for the better part of their lives, saying, we're going to keep serving our God. We're going to keep serving our God. And over time, these guys built that faith muscle up that when time came for them to really decide, am I all in for God or am I not? Am I all in for the real God or am I not? These guys, I mean, like radically, boldly, I mean, they stepped up. And people recognized. So here's what happens. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, we're not going to serve you. And we're going to stand up for our God, but even if he does not, even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. In verse 19, then King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. Like he was kind of Mr. Mr. Nice Guy up until that point. He thought, these young children that I took from their home native country that were of royalty, forget all that. I'm making an example of these guys. His attitude changed. And so he orders the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. That was hot. Whatever it was previously that could burn things up, seven times hotter, whatever it is, it's a lot hotter, right? So seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? You want to make sure it's done right. You want to make sure that everybody knows. Everybody's paying attention. Everybody knows the strongest guys, the best guys are on the job. King is now paying attention All his attention is on this. Somebody's not following me. Someone's not serving me. Someone's not honoring me. I'm going to make an example out of these guys. And the strongest soldiers in the army tie up these three guys and throw them into the burning furnace. I also think that he wanted strong guys because as they were throwing them into the furnace, they had to open the door. He didn't want to kill his weak guys off, so he had strong guys that could get near the warmth of that fire as they were throwing in these guys. So in verse 20, and these men wearing their robes, trousers, 
turbans, that, that, was, that was old school. That's old school for us, but that was what they dressed like back then. Uh, their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he picked the strong guys, but they weren't that strong. So when they opened the door, it killed the guys throwing them in. That's how hot it was. And these three men, as they got thrown in there, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now here these guys are. I wonder if they're second-guessing things at this point, right? Dude, you think we should have done that or not? I don't know. It seems like a dumb idea right now. Should we have just given in a little bit? Should we have just kind of like, it's just this once. Come on. Did, did we really have, you know, these guys are in it. They're in it. Three of them. Three of them in there together. I love the shift in the story. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's nearby. He's paying attention. He, he now knows that three of his good men just died trying to put the three in the fire. All of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement and asks his advisors, weren't there just three men in the fire? Wait a second. We had guys throw them in. They died. So three guys were the only people that went in. So if three guys are in, why are there more in there? Weren't there three men tied up and threw into the fire? Yes, they replied, certainly. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This is like, this is like the whole future story, like the whole idea of Jesus coming to save his people from their sins. This is it in the Old Testament. This is God showcasing Jesus to actually come and be born on the earth like in the midst of this fire. It was time. He was going to go ahead and do something then to showcase there's only one real true living God. So here the king is, the, the highest power at this point on the earth. And he sees four guys, and the fourth guy looks like a son of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Everybody's paying attention. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the fire. And all the sad traps, all those officials that narked on them, that knew they, they would not bow, they're there, crowded all around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair, not some hair, but not a hair singed on their heads. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, and I love this, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> In front of everybody. Not praise me. Not praise anything I got, but praise what you got. 
Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They believed in advance. They placed their faith in him in advance. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than worship, serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or any language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Come on, that's pretty awesome. Is that not like serious, big old school faith like let me just let me just relate this today to us maybe it's you in a fire right now i'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but maybe maybe today some of you are in some sort of fire obviously you're not in a furnace because you're here with us you're not burning literally but if i ask you to raise raise your hand i bet you Varying degrees and very varying levels of your own personal struggle and fire, disappointment, betrayal, whatever it is, about 80, 90% of us would say, yeah, I'm in one of varying degrees. Can I remind you through this story, through, through something, through a story that's not fake, but a God that has been proven real over and over and over and over and over in the pages of this scripture, Share those true stories. Can I remind you today that you have a God that is with you in the fire. He's with you in the fire. He's not a God that bails on you at last minute. He's not a God that's nowhere to be found and or is not even real. We literally have a God who loves us and loves it, when, we're, when we go old school and say, for no reason at all am I going to quit on believing in him. For no reason whatsoever am I going to give up on the God who has never given up on me. See, this is old school faith in a new school kind of world, right? Right? We read these old stories and we think, I don't know how that relates. Are you kidding me? (laughs) It's the only thing that relates. You look around in our world and our own economy and our own government and everything does this all the time. Is there anything other than Jesus that is security? You tell me. Is there anything other than placing your faith in something that is immovable, that is completely trustworthy, that we ought to say, you know what, I'd go all in for? There is nothing. So whatever level your fire, your struggle, your dilemma, know that you have a God that wants nothing less than to be there in the thick of it with you. Why? Why? You think God wants to make his name not great? No. God wants to make his name great. You see what happened here? Whose name was made great? Nebuchadnezzar. 
No. God's name was made great. Through who? Through those jokers. Through those, those young guys who said, hey, no matter what, boys, come on, let's band together. Let's lock arms right now. It's time for us to stand tall. We don't believe that. We believe this. We're going to stand strong right now. See, I, I believe with all my heart, we got a, we've got a young church. I look around, and, and most of you are younger than I am. Gosh, that is so weird to say. Most of you are younger than me. Some of you are not. But I promise you, we have a God looking for people who would stand up at all costs for him. Looking for men who would stand up at all costs and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Not serve ourselves. You see, you can't serve God and yourself. It's, you, you can't do it. To serve one means to betray the other, right? You see, I really believe this king was like, come on, you can do both. No, you can't. Scripture says you can't serve God and money. You love the one or you hate the other. really is. It's like social media. <laughs> you can completely get sucked up and absorbed in social media to where it controls you. Either you control it or it controls you, but you can't, you can't really allow it to be both. It's got to be one. You've got to control it. God says, listen, who's in control of your life? Me or something else? Who are you giving your greatest affection for? Me or something else? See, we have a God that wants to strengthen you, that wants to give you hope, that wants to allow you many, many times in your life to be able to lean on him for those days, for those days, and they're going to come when you have a chance to stand tall. And I'm telling you, even in America, even in America, there, there are coming days, and there are days right now in your schools, at your workplace, where God's, God's wanting us to say, you know what? For me and my house, we love Jesus. I'm all in for him. He died for me. Gave his life for me. He's with me in the fire. As for me and my house, that's my faith. I believe and follow him. Period. End of story. Why do we do that? Not because of what he can do for us, just because who he is. Just because who he is. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. God, I uh, just thank you for your grace. I thank you for God. True biblical stories, historical stories like this that remind us in so many ways, so many facets of standing strong, of pursuing you, of putting you first. God, I'm thinking of so many little ways in my life how I want to I put something else first. I want to put my wife first. I want to put this church first. I want to put my kids first. I want to put me first. I want to put some pleasures first, God. And I want to give their, those my greatest attention, God. But when you're, you're the one who loves me, you're the one that already gave your life for me. You're the one, God, who, who constantly is there for all of us. God, you are God. You are the creator of the world. And God, today, we just, we want as a, 
as a group, as a family, even as outside guests this morning. God, we want to just, we want to praise you. We want to say thank you. We want to say we love you, God. And God, physically, God, we want to we we surrender our life to you because you gave your life for ours. So God, whatever it is, wherever it may be, God, we want to, in this moment, say all of us for all of you. All of us for all of you. God, would you give this church that type of of faith? God, would you give these men that type of faith? God, would you give these women that type of faith? God, would you give me that type of faith? God, would you give us that type of faith so that the whole world may know that the God of my church, that the God of the Bible is God. And God, I pray that our love and our sacrifice and our lives would matter, would matter because of you and for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.